All right, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, so um, verses 7 through 11, verses 7 through 11. So um, if you can go ahead and flip there, we'll start at verse 7, and it says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, because the old is passing away and the old is passing away and the true light is already shining. Am I, am I saying that right? Um, I have these in my head and then I come up here. At the same time, there's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother and abides in the light in him, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, verses 7 through 11. And here's the plan. The plan today is um, we're, going to, we're going to walk through the text 7 through 11. I'm going to show you some things about love. I'm just going to kind of make some remarks um, as we look through that, exegete the text. After we do that, we'll, we'll have some application. After the application, I want to tell you why the gospel is awesome. Um, so that's, that's the plan. Three things. Exegete the text, give some application, which I'll do some application as we exegete, um, and then just tell you why the gospel is awesome. All right, so that's, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, Francis Schaeffer, he was a, uh, a philosopher uh, about 20, 30, year, 30 years ago. Um, he was uh, talking about this, this air, uh, section here in First John, and this is what he said. Only with this mark, talking about love, only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. And that Jesus was sent by the Father. Only if we're walking through life and we're actually as Christians displaying love to one another, um, by that mark, Christians will actually know that other people will know that Christians are Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. And James Boyce also said, and that we as Christians will know that we're Christians by this mark. So um, last week we talked about in verses um, 3 through 6, we talked about having an assurance of salvation and what it means to know. Let me read verse 3. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So um, we talked about what it means to know that you've come to know him and how that looks in your life. Um, and now John is transitioning from assurance over to love um, and how key it is for you if you're going to be a Christian to have this mark of love in your life. Um, it should be one of the key things. And we're going we're gonna to get into all that and let you see how that's part of the message um, and everything. <clears throat> I grew up, um, and some of you might not know what I'm talking about, but I grew up in a Baptist church, and I've always been in a Baptist denomination my entire life. And so um, one of the great things about Baptists, um, one of them, is that uh, they're very, very big on evangelism. Um, they have probably one of the largest uh, mission enterprises set up um, through the International Mission Board. And so evangelism is huge for them. We put a lot of money into it, and we want to send a lot of people and a lot of dollars for the cause of evangelism, we want people to be saved, and so, uh, which is good. Um, we can improve, I think, as Baptists, and I've been a Baptist my whole life, I think we can improve on the discipleship part. We're good at trying to make the disciple, but teaching them to obey all that I have commanded in Matthew 28, we can improve on. But what happens, and what I've noticed in Southern Baptist life, um, is that we are so excited, so excited about um, evangelism that 
whenever we're doing evangelism, evangelism we start seeing people. Uh, whenever we're looking at people that aren't Christians, we start looking at them. Um, and this doesn't have to be exclusive to Baptists. It's just kind of my context. We start seeing people as converts or a number. They don't know Jesus. Um, we're so big on evangelism. I want everybody to know Jesus. And so I just want, I want to tell them the gospel and get them converted. Um, and, and I think what's happened, um, at least for me, is... Growing up in that context, which I'm, I'm for, I'm for evangelism, I think that's good, um, my mind started just viewing people as converts in numbers, wanting them to come to know Jesus. And I, I kind of, and I don't forget, but my mind doesn't catch up with my brain, um, that doesn't make sense, but um, I shouldn't just view them as converts in numbers, but I should view them as people. Um, I should view them as a soul that, that Jesus loves and that I should love and not just try to convert them but also love them. And so that's kind of the message that we want to want to note or see today is that God isn't just wanting um, us to to run out there and evangelize the world and get them all converted. But God's also wanting us to, as we go out there, not just try to convert them because they're heathens and because they sin and we can't stand their sin and they do all these wrong things that we think are wrong, which are, um, but that we should actually love them deeply and serve them and want to really care for them. Um, and so as we're looking at this, I want to I kind of keep that in your mind is that um, God's goal and my goal today is that you're going to walk out of here um, more challenged to just love other people deeply, deeply, even if they're not like you. Um, look at the verse here, verse 7. It says, Beloved, I am writing to you. No, You know what? Let me stop. I want to stop and pray before we get started. Let me pray. Um, Lord, I, uh, I just want to pause and thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity that you've given me to... to uh, explain your scriptures. Lord, I pray that I would be faithful to your scriptures. I pray that you would use them. I know that nothing that I say um, will change anybody's life, um, but only your, your word will, and only Jesus will, and only the power of the Spirit coming behind the true things that I would say um, would cause someone to want to walk in your statutes, to cause someone to want to love Christ deeply, to cause someone to want to walk more deeply with Christ. So Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that if there's anything that's my opinion or anything that's just my thoughts, that you would erase those things, that you would take those things, that you would keep me from saying those things. And Lord, I would just say your thoughts and, and I would just say your words. And Lord, I just pray for help. Um, I'm totally aware of my need for you today. And so I, I pray for help this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Beloved, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. All right, so um, when, we, when we first read this, now, I, we all know that it's going to be love. I've already said it's love um, that he's talking about. But when we first hear this, we're not, you might not be exactly sure. What, do you, what, what commandment is he talking about? Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Which commandment are you talking about? Um, flip over two pages with me to Second John, to Second John verse 5. Verse 5, he says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning. Almost the exact same language. And then he tells us what it is. That we love one another. That we love one another. So the new commandment um, is, which is really the old commandment, is that we love one another. Now, this, this takes us back to Leviticus 19.18. You don't need to turn, I'm just telling you. Um, Leviticus 19.18 says, love one another. So... That's the old commandment. And he's saying, I'm not writing to you 
a new commandment that you should love one, one another, but the old commandment. It was said back in Leviticus 19.18. As a matter of fact, loving one another is the summary of the, t- of the fa- last six commandments. Verse, uh, commandments 6 through 10. The Ten Commandments, um, commandments 5 through 10 or are the... Uh, if you summarize those into one thing, it just says, love your neighbor. So this is not a new commandment at all. Um, John, when he's writing his gospel, kind of talks about this uh, commandment to love one another. And he says this in John 13. This is what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, we're starting, if you're like me, when I'm reading all this and I'm, I'm hearing him say, it's really an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. But it's really an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. And they're both saying the same thing. Old commandment, love one another. New commandment, love one another. I, I'm getting confused. Like I'm thinking, all right, what is it? Is it old or is it new? Um, this is what it says. Uh, John 13, 34. I'm going to answer that question in a minute. Um, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. <clears throat> and he tells us, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. An old commandment that you had from the beginning that you should love one another. I want you to flip over one page now and look at 3.11. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you had heard from the beginning. Now, this sounds a little bit like what we just read. It says, but the old commandment that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, that we should love one another. All right. So um, he says, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. All right. Whenever these people heard the word, they heard the gospel, just like I was talking about. As, as we try to go out and tell people the the gospel, we want to tell them how to come to know Christ. We want them to become evangelized. That's the gospel. We say, if you put your faith in Jesus because of your sin, you've been separated. And if you put your faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, then you can have a right relationship with God. That's the gospel. We want you to believe that. We want you to know that. And that's the word that you heard from the beginning. Um, and a lot of times we just kind of say, that's the message. Here's, here's the first thing, the first remark I want you to know about about um, love is this. It's always been the command of God that we should love one another. It's always been the command of God that we should love one another. That's what it tells us in verse 7. But um, I would say that it should also couple. It's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the part of, but I would say it has to couple the gospel message. When you present the gospel to someone, someone the idea that they should love other people should not be a foreign thing to them. Look at 3.11 again. Look at 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. So from the beginning, when someone told them the gospel and when someone told them, put your faith in Jesus, they also said you should love one another. God's telling us it's always been a commandment. This is something that you've heard from old is that you should love one another. So as you go, as I go, as we all go and go to our coworkers, to our to our neighbors or our family members or whatever, um, and we're telling them and we're wanting them to put their faith in Jesus because their life away from Christ makes us sad or their life away from Christ just makes you angry because you don't like what they're doing, whatever. Um, it should never be a foreign concept to them that if they come to know Christ, that they should go love other people as well. It was for me, and maybe this isn't you, but it was for me. I, uh, I put my faith in Jesus and I knew that, you know, God tells us to love other people. God is love and all that kind of stuff. But it never hit home on me as to the depths that it should is that um, when I'm going out and telling people about Jesus, there should be within me a deep love for others. 
not just Christians, not just brothers in Christ, but anybody who has been made in the image of God. Um, so it's always been a part of the gospel message. Um, we should, as we go tell each other, proclaim to others that they should also love each other. Now, how? How do we do that? Because in my experience, um, some people are, are difficult to love. Um, I'm, I'm sure that I am, for my wife, plenty of times. And so if you're around people long enough, um, they're, they're difficult to love. So how can we do that? How can we find within us um, this deep love that we should have for other people? Now, I want you to see this. All right. And it's, it's in, this, in these verses. It says this, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but the old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment. So now I'm going to clear this up because how's it old and how's it new? And if it's the same thing, why do you keep telling me that? Look what he says. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing. To you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right. If this is a new commandment, um, when it sounds like the old one, why is he calling it new and Andy, why is he saying it's old? Um, new doesn't mean new doesn't mean that it replaces old. Okay? Um, the Old Testament um, isn't necessarily just thrown out of the window and replaced by the new. The old covenant is fulfilled by Jesus. The old the old the Old Testament finds its fruition and becomes possible because of Jesus, and this is the same idea of the old command. Um, the old command finds its fruition and becomes possible because of Jesus. The old command to love other people finds its fruition, and you're going to be able to start loving other people. It becomes possible because of Jesus. So this new command to love other people um, is rooted in and because of Jesus. Everything really is about Jesus. In Sunday school, I remember in youth, um, the first time I ever got there, I would ask questions, and uh, the one guy, he always just Jesus? Like, that was his answer. And he was always right. Um, the answer is Jesus, but we need to know why. Um, Jesus, <clears throat> from eternity past, has always been the, the, the eternal Son of God, the eternal Son of the Father, and the plan was always that He would come and be the, the sacrifice, or He would be the one who would die on the cross for us and if we would put our faith in him then we can find forgiveness and so because that's always been the plan everything finds its fruition everything is made possible because of jesus so this old command to love each to love other people also is made possible through jesus for us to love other people um so you might be thinking okay i hear what you're saying i'm supposed to love everybody but you don't know this person i have this roommate or spouse or brother or sister um, and you don't know them and they are really difficult extremely difficult to love Um, how is it that i'm going to be able to love them the way that that christ commands me Um, here's here's the answer here's the answer here's the second thing jesus is the source of love jesus is the source of love look what it says in eight at the same time it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. If it's true in Christ, um, love is truly in Christ and it comes from him and it's given to us by him. So your ability to love your spouse. Um, there, there's a lot of a lot of women that 
um, find it very difficult to love their spouse. Maybe they're a Christian and their spouse isn't. And they, they find it very difficult to live with and love their spouse. And I've seen this firsthand. That how am I supposed to love him? All he does is complain. All he does is um, get mad. He's very not loving. How is it that I'm supposed to love him whenever all he does is these things that mistreat me? How am I supposed to love him? You're not going to on your own. You're going to find the ability to love him because Jesus is the source of love. Let me, let me read you a text here. Um, this is First uh, John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. First John 4, 7. Love is from God. Don't try to. Or this goes for the husbands as well, trying to love their wife well. If she's difficult or... Um, Maybe you, one of my things I find is that uh, I find that my failings as a husband to, to lead the family, um, whenever I see that, whenever I know that she's disappointed or whenever I know she's thinking, I know that you could improve in this area, Fudd, or in this area over here. Um, I, my first inclination, cynical inclination, is to, to, is to get mad and be like, gosh, she's always so right about stuff and oh, it makes me so angry. I want to be able to... So, um, and I, I think, how am I supposed to... Um, how am I supposed to serve her well and love her well the way that Christ commands me? Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to on my own. Love comes from God. The ability to love someone that's difficult or the ability to love the way He has commanded you comes from Jesus. You're only going to be able to do it by Him, by Him strengthening you. So um, this just amps up or, or shows you the absolute necessity of, free, of you praying. Like, God, there's no way that I'm going to be able to love this person well today. I want to, I want to, but I know in my own strength and my own power I'm not going to be able to. So would you please come now and strengthen me with the ability that I need to be able to love this person well, whether it's your son, whether it's your daughter, whether it's your husband, whether it's your wife, or your brother or your sister or your roommate, whatever. Um... You're not going to be able to unless you ask Christ for it. Now, this is one of the amazing things. It says, um, which is true in him and in you. So, if you're a believer, this is true in Jesus and it's true in you. It's not true in him and may be true in you. If you're a Christian, this is true in you. That's good news. That's really good news. I can take a lot of heart in that. I... I'm supposed to love well. Jesus is the source of all love. And it's true in me that I can love well. I can do it. It's true in him and in you. And look at this. <clears throat> because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now this is true in the world, but this is also true in us who are being sanctified. Who are being made now into Christ's likeness. The more and more we walk through, we will find... And this will take a progress. This will take a while. We will find that the darkness is fading and the true light of Jesus is starting to shine progressively. It'll never reach its pinnacle. You'll never be glorified here. You'll never ever stop sinning. But you will be able to grow in your sanctification. You will, you'll be able to grow in more Christ-likeness. All right. Um, the next thing is this. Um, in verse 9, it says, Whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. All right. So it's talking about someone who says that they're a Christian, but they're walking in darkness. 
Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, let's just kind of take this the other way, though. If, if you say that you're, that you're in the light and you hate your brother, you walk in darkness. But if you say that you're in the light and you love your brother, then you're not in darkness. That means you're, you are a Christian. You are a believer. Um, and we talked about assurance last week. We talked about in verse 3 um, where it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him. Um, this next one here, the next uh, remark on love is, um, let me just show it. If you have uh, love in you and you're seeing love um, coming through you and being poured out into your brothers, it's an evidence of regeneration. That's a big word, regeneration, if you don't know what it means. Basically, it means this, <clears throat> born again. just means born again. Um, in John 3, there's a, there's a guy that comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to, uh, to do in order to be a Christian? He says, you need to be born again. In other words, um, there will be a time where God uh, becomes beautiful to you, the, the truth of the gospel. Um, you walked around with, like with your back over and you never ever saw it. There's going to be a time in your life where all of a sudden you're going to look up and the beauty of the gospel and who Jesus is and the cross and, and that he died for you, all of a sudden it all clicks in your head and it makes sense. And you, you want Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. That moment's regeneration. And so that we, as we walk through life, it's good to know as a Christian um, because we all have these moments of doubts. As we, when that happens and we keep going through life, we're going to sometimes think, Am I, is this real? Am I really following Jesus? Do I, do I know him? Because I see these patterns of sin in my life. And am I really walking in him? And we need at these times assurance of salvation. I am saved. And so what he's telling us here is we can have assurance of salvation. We can have evidence of regeneration. We can know that we're a Christian when we see love happening in our life. Um, if you're still in darkness, Boyce was commenting on this. Uh, James Boyce, he's a, he's a commenter. Uh, he writes commentaries. He, he was writing on this and he said, A Christian may know that he has truly been made alive by Christ when he finds himself beginning to love and actually loving those for whom Christ died. I'm going to read that again so you catch it. A Christian may know that he has been truly made alive by Christ or regenerated or is a Christian, however you want to say it. He may know this when he finds himself beginning to love and actually loving those for whom Christ died. Um, I have my oldest daughter. <clears throat> she's six years old. Um, and this is what I mean by this. I have, she's six years old. If I, come up, if, she, if I tell her to clean her room or pick up her clothes or pick up her toys or whatever, and um, she does it, and I, and I leave and I come back and I see all of it's done. Um, what I don't want to hear, uh, JC, why, why did you clean your room? I don't want her like some kind of robot and say, because you commanded me to. Like, what? Um, I want her to hear say, Dad, I did it because I love you. Because I love you. You're my dad. I love you and I like to do what you say. That's what I want to hear. And so whenever we find ourselves, God's told us to love other people. So whenever we go and we start loving other people, whenever, whenever God would say to us, why did you do it? Our answer doesn't want to be, we don't want to say, because you commanded me to. It's because, God, I love you. And because I love you, I want to love other people. I want to obey you by going. So it's not some kind of commandment that's pushed onto you that you, you have to obey. And if you don't, you're not going to know if you're saved. It's a commandment that you want to walk in. It's a commandment that you, you like to live under. It's a commandment that because God's loved you, all you want to do is go show love to other people. 
All right. Now, he, James Boyce, he also, he also, as he was commenting on this, gave us um, three practical outworkings of love. Now, th- this is just three examples. There's way more, but he just, he just gives us three examples here um, that we can, we can ask ourselves and we can say, how's this going for me? So if we are, <coughs> I'm sorry, if we're truly saved or we truly are regenerate, or we truly are a Christian and we're walking in love, what are some things that we can see in our life that we are actually loving other people? What are some, what are some things? These are just some. Um, the first one is when a Christian has failed to love his brother. So you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. If you are, um, whenever you failed to love your brother or sister well, whenever you failed to love them well, um, an, an outworking of love is that you'll go to him or you'll go to her and you'll, you'll say you're sorry and you'll, you'll, you'll repent or you'll confess your sin and you'll tell them, this is what I did. Um, I shouldn't have done that. So that's one way. Um, a practical outworking is that whenever you know that you failed to love someone well, and that can work itself out in any number of ways, you'll go to them. You won't be prideful, but you'll go to them and you'll say, this is where I failed to love you well. This is what I did wrong. This is, this is how it looks. Um, maybe, if you're, maybe if you're not married yet and you struggle, both of you, the girl and the guy, struggle with um, being close together physically when you know you're not married and you know you shouldn't be. If you fail to love him well or you fail to love her well, well, you'll go to her and you'll say, this is how I failed loving you well. And I don't want to do that anymore. Please, I confess this sin to you. I shouldn't have done it. Or it may be um, your neighbor or whoever. You, you've sinned against them. You've taken something from them. Um, you haven't served them well. You could have done something for them. You could have taken... I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is... Um, I can think of thousands of things that I could go confess to my wife. Um, and what I should do is not be prideful. Not be prideful. But tell her, I failed loving you well here. I should have served you in this way. I should have done this. I should have not. Even when I did it, I shouldn't have done it with an angry heart. Because that's not what you want. That's not what you deserve as my wife. So there's all kinds of ways that you can, you can tell people. Um, the next thing is this. That's, that's the first one. The second one is, which is also extremely difficult. This, that, first, that first one is, is difficult. This next one is difficult as well. When you're wronged, so now it's the receiving end. When someone comes to you, when you're wronged, you should forgive. So not only should you go to them, but when you're wronged and they come to you, you should forgive because God in Christ has forgiven you. Um, and here's the third one, man. This one's very, very tough. Um, Love also, this is a practical outworking of love. Love also must be shown in practical demonstration, even if it's costly. Even if it's costly. And I would just say it doesn't also have to be to people that, that are your friends. Think of the Good Samaritan. There's a man on the side of the road. The people that were the, supposedly this man's friends walked by. The man who was supposedly his enemy is the one who stopped, helped him, took him to a hotel out of his own expense, paid for him to, to be healed, paid for him to have a place to stay, and then came back and checked on him later. So love must be costly, um, or love must be shown in practical demonstration, even if it's costly, even if it's costly. And it doesn't n- just need to be the people that are easy to love um, or, or your friends. They should be for anyone. It should be for anyone. All right, so we've gotten the first three. First is, is that... It's always been the command of God that we should love other people. The second one is, 
You're asking yourself, how in the world am I going to do that? How, how am I going to be able to love people well? Jesus is the source of love. The next one is when you're loving people, it gives you an assurance. Um, it gives you uh, an idea that, that regeneration has actually happened in your life. And the last one is this. Look at verse 10. It says, whoever, um, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light... <clears throat> And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. The, uh, the in him, this is just a textual note. This is really quick. The in him is actually not a him. It's an it. So it can refer to the light, which is a couple words before, and abides in the light. Or it can refer to the him, which is Jesus. Um, either way, it still means the same thing. Um, if you are abiding in the light or in Jesus, then you are walking in truth and you're living for Christ, etc. Um, but it says, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And I want to kind of key in on that phrase, there is no cause for stumbling. Um, when it's talking about there's no cause for stumbling, it's meaning that you have people around you that if you're walking in the light and you're loving them well, when they see your life, you're not causing them to stumble and be tempted into sin um, and do things that would, that would be sin according to God. So if, if we flip that, um, if you're not walking in love, you're going to cause them to stumble in sin. But if you are walking in love, then, here's the fourth one, love encourages others in their sanctification. Love encourages others in their sanctification. So, we know that we should love other people so that we can share, that aren't Christians, that we can share the gospel with them and they can, they can maybe come to know Christ if they put their faith in them. But also, we want to love other people that are Christians. Because as we love them... It's not going to give them cause for stumbling. It's going to increase them their walk in sanctification. It's going to help them walk in Christ more. Um, there's, uh, I would say the number one one for me is, um, the number one way for me is, if I do things that aren't loving and I cause them to be angry. Now, you can do a whole lot of things. We can, we can put, fill in any kind of thing. Um, it's, it's unloving to cause your brother to stumble in regard to dress. Um, but the one that I want to say, and the one I want to key on, at least because I think this is, um, for me, it might work for y'all. Um, if it's unloving to cause someone to be angry in sin, then I shouldn't do the thing that I just did. Um, being angry is not a sin, but causing them to sin in their anger, that's wrong. And so... The way that I can encourage people in their sanctification, the way that I can call, cause them not to stumble but walk in Christ is by loving them and not doing things that make them sin. We, we don't want to be the kind of people that do things that cause people to sin. And one of the ones I would say that's probably... And, and I don't think like um, alcohol is a big one. You know, some people can say, you're drinking and it's causing me to stumble. I think that can happen, but I think it's rare. I think we need to be a little bit more... Um, a little bit more broad in, in the, the examples we use and think um, maybe anger is one of them. You might be doing things to cause your wife or your husband or your, your son or your daughter or your co-workers or your neighbors, you might be doing things that cause them to be angry and sin in their anger. And you shouldn't do those things because it's causing them to stumble. Instead, you should love them and serve them and not make them angry, even if it's costly to yourself, and let them be more sanctified. Because you're not causing them to sin. Um, so, who are you 
causing to stumble? Um, how can you stop? Is there anybody that you can think of in your life right now that because you're doing this, you're causing them to sin, you're causing them to be angry, you're causing them to, to walk um, in a way that's not pleasing? Here, here's a question for you. Um, let's say that there's non-Christians around in that scenario. How can Christian love for one another be a means of non-Christians better understanding the gospel? How can unbelievers around, if they see you loving people well and not causing them to stumble, how can that be a way for them to understand the gospel better? That's something to think about, I think. But let's, let's flip this also. Um, let's not just talk about what are the things that you're doing that cause people to stumble and cause people to sin um, and think negatively, but let's also think positively. What are the things that you're doing that are causing others to be encouraged in their walk? What are some of the things that you could be doing to encourage people in sanctification? Um, we should wake up every day waiting for that. I, my, my oldest daughter, I've talked about her already, um, she wakes up like she's one of those, she's not one of those sleep in kind of people. She is at, up at the middle, I mean, at, not the middle, the, the early part of the day. As soon as the sun starts barely coming into the windows, she's awake and she's, she's, she's ready to go. Um, and for a while, she would wake up, <clears throat> she would come downstairs, and she, we, have a, we have a computer that she would open up and she would get onto it, and she'd start playing little you know, kid games on the internet, or sometimes just on her little disc. Um, it's kind of dangerous now to think about it, but um, we don't have like parent controls on it. But we would, I would wake up and I would walk out there to make my coffee, and she would be sitting at the computer, hey dad, and I'd be like, what are you doing awake downstairs on the computer? You know, how long have you been here? Oh, I don't know, she didn't really, she knew time but didn't know a lot, um, and so we had to set a clock up. Um, in her room. Well, she had it, but we had to explain to her, see this clock? Um, you can't get out of your bed now until seven. I know you like to get up at six or whatever time you get up. Um, you have to, if you wake up, you just have to stare at the clock until it says seven. When it says seven, you're allowed to get up. So um, I would ask her after that, like, what time? I would just get up and go to the bathroom, read some books. But as soon as it says, said seven, I would get up and I should, should go. And she's right. Um, my clock, I'm, my room is downstairs directly above, below hers. And so I would look at my clock and our clocks are set at the exact same time. And so I would wake up and I'd be looking at the clock and I would hear her little feet. Like as, as soon as my clock would hit seven, I would watch it. As soon as my clock would hit seven, I would hear her get down. Like, and start running across the room and coming downstairs. She, I, I'm just thinking, I can just picture her. She's just sitting there watching the clock. 6.59, 7, go. And she just, she just takes off. She is ready to go. And a lot of times she comes down, I want this, I want this, I want that. And she's ready to go. She's got all kinds of things. But she is anticipating being able to wake up right at 7 or at least get out of the bed right at 7 and, and start her day. And I just think that is the exact same way we should wake up every morning, anticipating the opportunity to go out and start encouraging others in their sanctification. Not not causing others to stumble, not causing others to want to sin and get mad at us because we've done these things. We should wake up with great anticipation every day with all the people that God's going to bring into our path that we are excited for opportunities to not just find ourselves advancing in sanctification, but pushing others on in their sanctification as well. I think that that's the, that's the way the Bible kind of reads for us to walk our, walk our lives through. I think that the Bible really wants us to encourage others in walking with Christ. Um, not just if the opportunity happens to come by, maybe I'll think about it and, oh yeah, I got to do that. But waking up with the same anticipation that a six-year-old has for being able to start her day and go encourage people. And maybe that morning is just your husband. Maybe that morning is just your wife. Whenever, 
whenever they've been up all night with a newborn and, and helping um, pour their drink or make them some eggs or whatever. Um, all right, I want to close with this. Now, verse 11 um, really kind of mirrors verse 9. It says, whoever um, says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Um, and verse 11 also says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You can see that verse 9 and verse 11 are very similar. Um, but what I want to do with verse 11 is not just point you back to uh, number 3, but I'll, I, want to, I want you to look at verse 11 with me in a, in a little bit different way. Um, and I'm hoping that this is going to... <clears throat> Um, stir you up for lost people. Stir you up for those who are not yet Christians. Stir up love. I want you to just, if you would, with me, um, let's, and, and maybe you're, you're not wired this way, because I'm not. And I want you to, um, I'm not wired with compassion or mercy, but I want you to, um, if you would, and if you are that way, this is awesome, but if you're not, I want you to try to, your hardest to put on your compassion hat right now. Put on your mercy. Put on your feeling and emotions hat. And I want you to think about the condition of this person. You ever been in darkness, like complete darkness? Total, like pitch black darkness. If it's a room or just out in the middle of the woods and um, maybe you can see the stars, but let's say it's over, like you can't see anything. Like your hands are right here and you can't even see your hands. You ever ever been in that kind of thing? Um, You ever tried to walk around in that? Like it's dangerous. (laughs) <laughs> really dangerous, especially if there's a lot of stuff around. Um, you can get hurt pretty bad. You have absolutely no idea where you're going. You have no purpose. You have no meaning. You have no destination. You have, you have nothing. This is, this is the, the description that John is going to use talking about someone who doesn't know Jesus. And, and I want you, if you would, just hear this. This should move us. Listen to what he says. But whoever hates his brother... So forget the hates his brother. It's talking about someone who doesn't know Jesus. Whoever hates his brother or doesn't know Jesus is in darkness. They can't see anything. And they walk in darkness. It's not just dangerous, but it's scary. And does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Can we, would you, just start feeling some compassion and emotion as it describes someone who, whose life is defined as no purpose, no meaning. Maybe this is you right now. Maybe you're just walking through life and you're like, I have no one. I have no person. I have no, I have no love. I have no purpose. I just, I walk around. I wake up. I, I feel empty. I go back home. I go to bed. There's nothing inside of me that feels like I have direction, that feels like I have meaning, that feels like I have purpose, that feels like I have redemption. Can you imagine if you're a Christian, would you, what that feels like? I was saved at a very young age. I I haven't felt these depths of despair. But I can't imagine going through life feeling that. They're surrounded by darkness They don't know where they're going. They're walking in that. The Bible says that they are also perishing and will eternally live and be tortured eternally, consciously tormented in hell. Forever. This is their description. And so I'm wondering, 
as we read this and as we think about what it means to be in absolute darkness with no idea where you're going, if that stirs affections for those people that are that way, your roommate, um, whoever it is, it's not just someone that lives around you. It's not just someone that works with you. It's someone created in the image of God who is outside of a relationship with Christ, who's walking in darkness and will perish and will be eternally separated from Christ. And you have the message they need to hear. The only message they need to hear. There is no other message besides Jesus. And so as you're thinking about that person, What's keeping you from loving them well and sharing the message? Not just the conversion story, not just how to be saved, but also loving them and helping them see that they need to go love other people now too. Instead of being frustrated with them because they sin, which is what they're going to do, speaking to them with love, Telling them that their only hope is found in Christ and that's the only hope that you have. Why would we not? ESV Study Bible, as I was reading this, um, said, it's easy to lose touch with the basics of knowing God who is love. Why would we not? Why would we not do this? Why would we not love well? Why would we not want to feel compassion for those who are perishing? Why would we not want to love our um, brothers and sisters in Christ well. I, I, I jotted down six reasons. Um, don't write them down. Just, just, just listen to them. The first four are practical. The, the last two are, I think, theological. They're all maybe reasons that could be why we won't. This is, this is just my thoughts. Maybe one of these is you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's another one. Why we would not love well. The first one, I think, is just inconvenient. It's it takes time out of your day to love someone. Time that you have other things scheduled. Some of those things are absolutely important. You need to do them. Some of them maybe not. It's inconvenient for the schedules that we've made out for ourselves to love other people well. Um, so with your best discernment, maybe you can look at your schedule and see if some of those things could be better suited or better as loving other people you still got to do some stuff i know um this one's mine why not love other people lack of feeling that i don't find within me a depth of love for other people that i know i should have and i think our only answer there is just to pray and remember where we've been saved from we want to feel the depths of love for other people that god wants us to feel for them for some of us, it's just a lack of concern. It's not time. It's just a lack of concern. For some of us, it's just a deep-rooted selfishness. We can't see other people because our only concern, our only thoughts, our only hopes, our only dreams, our only desires are just ourselves. Everything is me and nothing can be others. And if we read Philippians 2, that's just not the way Jesus was. Jesus was the most selfless person ever. He left all of the glory he had in heaven. I mean, think before he, came, before he was born, he was in heaven. Think of the glory he had. 
all the angels, everyone worshiping before the throne and he throne and he left that to lay in a bed of hay that animals eat out of. That's pretty selfless. Um, uninterested, as I think is another. We, uh, not, it's not that we're inconvenienced by it or we don't have feeling. It's just that we're uninterested. I just, I just don't care. Um, the next two are theological. And maybe it's not those. Maybe it's just these. Um, the first one is, if I love them well, I just don't think it'll do anything. I think that's theological. We have a lack of belief in God who can cause people to be regenerated or who can cause people to start walking with him more. We, we don't believe that, that God has said that if you love them well, it's going to work. It's going to do something in their life. And the last one is just, and I don't know, this, this might not be the case. The last, last reason that you might not love other people well is that you're not regenerate. You're verse 11. You are in darkness and you walk in darkness and the darkness has blinded your eyes and you don't know where you're going. Put your faith in Christ. He's your only hope. Not just to love, but your only hope to be saved, to be redeemed, to have purpose, to not walk around with no destination, but have a purpose to bring glory to Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, you can be saved. Now, here's why the gospel is awesome. Here's why the gospel is awesome. Um, we cannot do any of these things. I've already said that the source of love is Jesus. We can't do any of these things. The only way we can do these things is Christ. We have to have him. We can't love anyone unless God has loved us first. Um, because God has loved us first and he's died for us while we were not close, but far from him. He's brought us near. We were far in the first song we sang in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Bible actually describes us as devil worshipers outside of a knowledge of Jesus. Do you know that the Bible says that about people? Sons of disobedience, worshipers of the power of the prince of the air. That's Satan. It's, it's pretty bad. We were far. That was who we were. And he died for us while we were there and then brought us near. This is why the gospel is awesome. Because we can't love the way we're supposed to love unless he puts the love inside of us. And he died for us to make it possible. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the only way that you'll love other people because he has loved you first. And since he's loved you, now he's put his spirit inside of you and you can love other people. You can love them not just okay, but you can love them with an exceedingly great love. The love that Christ has for us. You can love them. That's pretty... It's pretty awesome. That's why the gospel is awesome. So don't. Don't make this mistake that you need to go home and you need to conjure up within yourself a love for other people that you're going to manifest it by your own will and by your own volition and by your own thoughts. You're just going to do it by yourself. You can't. And you won't. It might last for a week or two, but it'll go out. It's because God has loved you in Christ. And he's the source that you can start loving other people. So as we respond today, I just want you to, through song, I just want you to remember what God has done for us in Christ. I want you to stand and sing and, and raise your hands if you want or stay seated and contemplate and just consider the love of Christ that he has 
for you and that now you can go love other people in that. If you don't know Jesus, if you're walking in darkness, if you know that describes you, you, you have no purpose, you have no meaning, you have no love, and you know you have no redemption, then come talk to me. I'm right here. Put your faith in Him. Today can be the day that you cross over, transfer kingdoms, as the Bible says, and become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into our time of response through song. And I just want to encourage you, however God's wired you, however God's leading you, that you would respond through song or through coming down and talking, or if you need prayer, I'll be down here, however you want to do it. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we uh, thank you so much for your love. I, I just confess that I don't wake up each day with this great excitement to start the day. To go love as many people as I can because you have empowered me by Jesus through the Spirit to go love other people. I just don't wake up that way. But I want to. And I know that I can by your Spirit. I know that you can cause me to have this deep love for other people that I would go serve them well. I would go tell them the gospel and tell them to love others. That I would want to find other people and encourage them in their walk with Jesus, not cause them to stumble. God, I pray that you would, with all of us, take away this, this mind of indifference, that you would take away this mind of apathy, Lord, that you would give us the desire daily, hourly, every moment to want to love other people well. There won't be moments where we say, oh, I'm supposed to be loving other people right now. But it would always be on our mind. That you would help us. The old commandment is that we would love one another. The new commandment is that we would love one another and it's made possible through Christ. So help us, Father. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know Christ that they'll come down front here and talk to me and I'll talk, them, talk with them about Christ and tell them how great the gospel is. I pray that we'll all respond in worship this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.